Welcome to the Spinning Wheels podcast, powered by Greenlight Sports and Entertainment, with your hosts, Guy Smith and Paul Woodford. Welcome to episode 18 of the Spinning Wheels podcast. Just a reminder that you can catch up with the full series so far, featuring star guests from a full spectrum of four-wheel motorsport, wherever you get your podcasts, or indeed on YouTube if you want to watch along. Guy, 2020 has been pretty difficult for motorsport. You know that more than most right now, because you should be somewhere else, not sat um, doing this. You should be in France. It continues to be difficult. This has been a bit of a way to take a step back and kind of delve under the skin of what we love about this sport. You as a racing driver and a rally driver, and me as an enthusiast and a circuit manager and, you know, and a presenter of rallying, we've really got under the skin of it, I feel. Yeah, I, mean, I think <coughs> we all have such kind of high-paced lives, don't we? You know, we're kind of rushing around and... Uh, you know, with, with, with stuff that we're doing with work, with racing and, and, and what have you. And uh, I think with the whole sort of lockdown, it kind of gave us a chance to sort of sit and sort of assess everything and think about it and actually realise just how much we love, you know, motorsport, um, you know, in, in, in whatever capacity that we work in it. And uh, it's been really good to sort of reflect and, and talk with different, I said, different drivers, um, you know, co-drivers, um, you know, people like Brian Gush and here behind the scenes stuff. So it's been really good fun. Um, you know, I really enjoy doing it. So, yeah, I think... I and think most importantly, we this keeps coming up on social media, the, the dogs and cats thing. It's dogs, dogs all the way, unless you're an engineer and then you like cats because you're well, thinking. That, that, that's true. So I'd be interested to see what today's guest has to say because, uh, you know, we'll see, see if that continues. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Talking of which, we're back on the loose stuff for this episode. Most of these contacts have been from Guy's little book of contacts. Well, this is another one that we share, actually. Um, a tale of raw talent, I think, we put on social media. And... and kind of perseveration against the odds, a career that started at the grassroots of the sport and has, has reached the top of British rallying. Matt Edwards is our double reigning British rally champion, a BTRDA champion. Right now, he should be defending that title and going for number three after starting this season on his home event with the dominance that saw him start over the last two, but he's not, which is bad for him, but it's good for you because he's an excellent storyteller. Welcome to Spinning Wheels, Matt. Thank you. Good evening. <laughs> You said earlier, good evening, it's very formal. Uh, you started earlier by, um, in the message, you said plenty of material to go out. Because you and I have crossed paths quite a few times during your, your rally career so far. But it, it really did start right at the grassroots. You, you started as a club rally competitor, family into motorsport, in a fantastic looking Mark II Astra. Just talk us through those early years. And you can't have ever have thought that you'd have achieved what you have achieved in the last couple of years. No, that's right. Um... You know, even what we've achieved recently, you know, you wouldn't have said even three or four years ago that that was, that was possible. But, you know, 2003, um, I found uh, through the British Rally Forum a Mark II Astra shell uh, in a barn in Ludlow, near Ludlow. Um, the cage had already been done. So, you know, with basic mechanical skills at the time, that was really good. So I didn't have to find anybody to weld a cage in. It was, it wasn't in a very nice state, but uh, you know, a, a long time on my back in the garage and, you know, rubbing down the floor and rubbing down all the arches and inside it was, a, it was, you know, a lot of surface rust on it. And, you know, the garage was so small, I had to push it from one side to the other side of the garage to get it the other side so I could work on it. And so it was, it was 12 months of that whilst I was uh, working after, well, in a gap year from university, basically. What were you studying um, at uni? Uh, business and HR I did at Keel, so um, that was that really got in the way of the rally. <laughs> HR, 
HR. It's not very HR when you're pushing your rally car on the garage. No. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, and I'd in the in the years before that, I'd saved up um, a little bit of money from the job I had at uh, local Vauxhall dealers, scavenging through the parts bins for old Astra bits, and I'd upgraded what then was a, a four-door road car um, with bits that I could transplant into the rally shell. So I basically built the road car up as a rally car over 12 months, shoveled it all into the rally car and then did the Cambrian in 2004 as my first event. So I didn't do any karting, didn't do any type, uh, road rallying or anything like that. I just I just had eyes for doing, going and doing the Cambrian. And you grew up in rally country, didn't you? Landudno, of course, and your dad very heavily involved with North Wales Car Club. So a bit of a family influence in, in the early days as well. Uh, <laughs> you would, wouldn't believe it, but he actually had no idea that I'd bought that car. The first few weeks I'd had it over there and it was only when I said right we're going to Ludlow bring a trailer and uh, we turned up at this barn and there was the car and he didn't actually have any influence or input into me getting started so you know even building the car was very little you know very little input it, you know I wanted to do it myself I wanted to learn learn what you know I, I then you know transpired to be very important learn that the skills that would you know, when you break down in the stage, you're the one that's got to fix it. So those skills have, have come with me through the whole, you know, the well, like 17 years now. And, um, you know, it's been very important to be doing it myself. How were those first few rallies then, Max? Obviously, you said you've not really done any karting or any kind of like real kind of motorsport. So you're kind of learning as you as you go. You know, what, you know, you don't know if you've got any talent or if you're going to be any no. I mean, literally just setting off and, and going. I mean, you know, you, you've literally no idea. So at what point, you know, at what point do you think actually I've, I've actually got a bit of speed here? I've got some talent. Did that you know, you'll notice, Matt, that I didn't do the easy joke there. You yeah. scoffed at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it was, I mean, the, the first probably I did one one rally that first year, 2004. Then I think I only did four or five local events, a couple of Sweet Lamb Astra stages at the time, and then the Cambrian again. Um, and you know the car was was nothing. I don't think it had a hundred horsepower. It was a standard box and you know very basic suspension. Uh, and it wasn't really till two thousand and seven uh, we had a little bit of help from an engine builder in the Forest of Dean called Spud Gardner. Um, he did as a head for a thirteen hundred engine. I mean the car was still only a hundred brake. I put a decent gearbox in it, and we were actually second fourteen hundred that year in in the Astra uh, to Clive Wheeler. Um, and you know that year, I remember the Quinton uh, with Andy Murphy sat next to me. It was a very eventful day. We were, you know, I didn't say we put it off, but we were having moments all over the place. And we we're actually, I think, fourth or fifth, fourteen hundred halfway through the day. And I'll never forget people coming back down the line of the cars at a delayed start, wondering who this lunatic, at, you know, seeded car two one seven was actually fourth or fifth, fourteen hundred in a. In, a, in an old Astra and um, I think that was where there was the sort of glimmers of hope that you know we were we were getting somewhere and there was some speed to be to be had. That's two lunatics in an Astra isn't it you and Andy Murphy that's a combination. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well Andy did his first rally with me the winter stages uh, I think it was the year before that he did his first rally together um, again that was just a, just a bit of fun at the time but you know we both got quite serious quite quick and you know we, we enjoyed it but you know, I don't know really know at what point I, I tried to make a career of it, to be honest, but um, it just developed as it became more serious. And then um, bit by bit, the 
as the profile grew, I guess I started getting asked for tuition and, you know, 10 years later, that's, that's kind of where we are. So you, you moved, you moved into four wheel drive. Was it was 2008. You got that yeah. Subaru, which I kind of, it was still very much a clubman route into rallying. You enjoyed rallying. You'd, everyone wants a Subaru and Prezzo. I, I did the front wheel drive thing and never quite got as far as the four wheel drive thing. So at that point I can relate to what you were doing. You just, as yeah. a clubman, you, you couldn't ever have planned at this point no, to make a I career mean, and do what getting, the, the deal with the Subaru was, you know, it was a rare opportunity. I was working for Jeff Jones at weekends, you know, sometimes in the workshop, prepping the cars, helping him out. And, you know, there was a, an offer there to use a car um, on the widening. Um, I mean, at that time, I was sort of in between going to uni or what was I going to do? And you know the career path you know as a job in normal life was a bit up in the air um and you know jeff said you want to use this use this car um ironically it was the first car i worked on with darren garrod and rob swan in okay. when that was the current car in the brc it was ou 580x pro drive n11 and uh, quite a famous car registration um but you know, I, I got that opportunity and I worked off the bill. I stayed in Jeff's caravan, you know, through the winter and to to work off the the, the bill for that event, uh, which we did okay on that. We finished in the top 20, you know, went to the Wilson. I think he let me loose with turbo fuel for that one. Didn't have the anti-lag, but we had the fuel. And then the next event, we'd finished in the top 20 again. Um, we had the turbo fuel and the anti-lag and we finished in the top 10. So, you know, that, that year progressed like that. And, you know, fair play to Jeff. That was, you know, a massive help in, in giving me a leg up, you know, not a lot of money changed hands, admittedly, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I was, I was still at uni, didn't have a lot, lot to give, but his generosity and his support at that point, you know, you know, I did a lot for him, you know, in the workshop, you know, off my own bat and, um, you know, supported him on on his events that he ran his customer cars on, and you know it worked well for us both. But you know, it was definitely a leg up that that got me to to you know culminated in selling a few of the cars, his higher cars that I was driving. So I didn't have one for the Cambrian, and then ended up in the Evo and had third overall on the Cambrian that year, which you know, special stage covered quite well. I can still watch the video of that today. Yeah, there were there were good days. So you've gone from four wheel drive back to two-wheel drive because of course British Rally Championship and the, the route through rallying seemed to be going back towards front-wheel drive didn't it at that point is that the reason that you dropped into the Fiesta SC trophy? Uh, well in November of 08 uh, I moved over to moved up to Cumbria and worked at M-Sport and a conversation with Andrew Wheatley about what I did next after a good result on the Cambrian was well there isn't really a viable four-wheel drive option my dad at the time had just uh, taken retirement from the fire service and with his retirement little pot we had enough together to to build a fiesta with the proviso that at the end of the year we sold it um and you know refunded my dad and whatever we we had left would, would carry on with but um i basically raided the parts bin at m sport for what was the last kit that they put together for the fiesta sts um the last set of seats off the shelf a couple of development parts that had been cast aside ended up on the car, which, you know, were, were, weren't, you know, was no advantage, of course. But, um, and we just set, up, set off on the Fiesta Trail and, you know, that proved a great championship. We had a couple of good battles with Craig Breen. We won the Bulldog. 
second on the Wilson and we ended up second in the championship even though we had a bit of a a mad couple of stages on the Ulster we knocked it against a tree and took the back wheel off but that's fairly well documented <laughs> what's your but, first taste of the big, big event yeah that was my first year tarmac first tarmac rally I ever did with the Alaman with Rob Fag that year um, you know we didn't have the recce because we were doing the challenge so yeah. it was a bit of a controversial year I think M-Sport would agree you know balancing the results from a group of cars that were doing almost a different rally with no recce with ones that were doing a recce and doing the full international. So uh, amalgamating the results proved a bit tricky when there was cancelled stages and things. I remember the Manx was quite controversial with one long stage being cancelled and we had, we had. Cars were they, Matt? So what were the front wheel drive? What's yeah, that? just the Group N Fiesta, two litre front wheel drive, dog box, good dampers, yeah. you know, cracking little car, real good handling little car. Yeah. Um, and like I say, we finished second in the championship, which was brilliant. You know, really good year, good consistent finishes. Um, but, you know, we got into the shootout at the end of the year, the, the M Sport shootout. And it was really good to go through the fitness test, but the, the reward was a job at M Sport. So I already had that. <laughs> um, so we were, although I'd, I made the final thing, you know, I had a conversation and said, look, is it worth giving your current position? sitting on the panel for the for the meeting I said well no I've, I've enjoyed the experience and during that event um my car that I'd built that I was running uh, I'd hired to a, a New Zealand driver and he wanted right hand drive car and we'd done a practice run and he started off in his practice run and I think he changed about four gears and chucked it in the trees and wrote the car off oh. and I'll never forget Malcolm said right you can use our car but if you bend it, you own it. <laughs> and it was a left-hand drive Fiesta. I'd never driven a left-hand drive car before. And I went from what is now the little quarry where they have the service area. I drove it down to the main road, drove it back. And I was actually quicker in the left-hand drive car than I'd done in the first run in my car. <laughs> so that was a, a bit of an experience. But the relevance of, of that is... Doing that. A lot of risk. Yeah, there was a lot of risk, yeah. Especially with your boss telling yeah. you if you bend the car, you own it. So that was an experience, but the relevance is the proceeds from the destroyed car, which was insured, paid my dad back and left me with £6,000 towards 2010, which was probably the year that things really started happening, if you like, with, you know, with progress. And we went to Steve Black Group uh, yeah. with Callum. Callum had run that car the year before. Yeah, this is the MGs that are fourteen hundred. We're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So at this uh, point, though, you've on the British Rally Forum. You mentioned it earlier. You've gone from being a kind of a club name that people start to talk about, um, and at the point where you got second and you're in the championship, in the Fiesta Championship with people like Craig, things started to look like you were actually sort of stepping up a, a bit of a, a level in terms of who was talking about you and where they were talking about you. Was that was that evident from inside Matt Edwards' head and inside the car, or was that just something I've seen as a um, not really, uh, because my budget was always, you know, was still is a, a tuppence of what other people uh, have available. But it was always 110% of what I personally could put into it. You know, it's always been probably more than I should be putting into it. Yeah. Um, and shall we say 2010 wasn't really what I'd wanted to do. I wanted to continue in BRC. 
to to continue we we, we talked about a super 1600 car with steve black um but the budget wasn't was nowhere near you know i literally had the six thousand pound and some some you know add-ins from other people that that covered tires and fuel and bits and bobs but it literally started that year with with six grand and it was literally the only place i could go it was looking desperate we would we'd even tried a suzuki swift um through pen car to do the swift cup we looked at everything but there was no leg up into to brc beyond beyond the challenge so um you know it, it was difficult but the step back to btrda level actually proved probably one of the best things best things that, that we was did one of the closest years you could have done as well wasn't it it was just a fantastic few years in in both the asphalt and the and the forest championship for btrda yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we we ended up really dominating the 1400s that year, and to do it in that fashion, I think, put us on the map a little bit. Um, and that was the year that we, we met Peter Smith, Guy's father, on on one rally, which actually was born out of misfortune. But the fact at the time I was doing my own PR and you know pedalling social media as best as I could, uh, balancing everything. You, you know, were that, that thing. Everywhere it would go, that that MG. I mean, at one point, I remember you dragging the car down the stage. I can't, was that was that? I had a man and this lost a wheel, and you're dragging it down uh, the stage. That was the year after. That was, was the it? year after on the Jim Clark when we went back to the That's BRC right. Challenge. You were you were chucking that thing car. around. Do you remember st- uh, sat on the ferry on the Isle of Man and there was a smell of fuel, and uh, your fuel tank had let go and it run all the way down the ferry. Imagine the smell of carless fuel or whatever you were running down the what ferry. What was that? That was in the MG. That was. Just remember, you, you this car just took. Such a pounding in the time that you were. I don't remember the fuel. T- I don't remember the fuel tank issue. I can still smell it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I remember going to the Alamo. No, did we go with the Alamo? You you made yourself pretty scarce um, at the point where that it might not have been the Alamo, but we were on a ferry somewhere, and uh, you made yourself pretty scarce once you realised where the fuel was coming from. <laughs> it's ringing a bell slowly, but I can't. Yeah. I can't piece that together. <laughs> you, you probably put that one out of your mind. Another lucky escape. <laughs> So enter stage right, another lunatic co-driver as well, Sam Collis, um, a yeah. character that, that a lot of people know in, in British rallying. And have you met Sam uh, Collis? Yeah, guy? yeah, actually, funny enough, he, he also lives in Hull as well, so he kind of yes. lives, lives in my area now. And but yeah, I'm, when I started doing some historic rallying, Sam was 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 obviously doing it. Um, it's been That's well, right, yeah. A few different, you know, a few different uh, drivers over time. But yeah, he's such happy. a he's an absolute legend, such a character. Yeah, great, great character. So and. I think it was really, you know, to be honest with you, when we go back about my dad, um, you know, sort of getting involved with Matt, you know, I think a lot of it, I remember Sam, you know, Sam pushed quite hard because, you know, we knew Sam and, and you know, be like, you know, bloody hell, Matt, he's, you know, you've got to see him. He's like, he's really quick and, you know, he's, he's unbelievable, you know, he's doing amazing. So he was kind of pushing, pushing, you know, Matt's name around as well. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I know with my dad, he was, he's, he's, he likes to help people that, you know, A, have got ability, but also what what I liked about Matt was his is the kind of the work ethic, the fact that um, you know, out, out of the car he would he would work. We talk about the work ethic in all of these things, don't we? Yeah, but we do. It comes up as push and push and you know, sleep in the car, whatever it took, he'd find whatever money he could. But instead of just sitting there and saying, Well, oh, we haven't got enough money for this event, we won't do it. You know, he would just do it and find the money as and when, how. And 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 I think he liked that, you know, he likes that spirit, you know. Uh, because I think he always felt they didn't want to just give 
you know, give it on a plate. You know, they had to yep. kind of work for it and whatever else. And I think, you know, and, and, and Matt, Matt's, you know, that's, that's typical of Matt. And I think there's been some other drivers that maybe haven't done that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. It's been great to see Matt, you know, Matt progress because he's been given the opportunity, you know, uh, slightly, you know better opportunities as he's gone along and he's, he's grasped it and uh, he's grabbed it by, by both hands. And, and obviously the results have, have speak for themselves. So, yeah. And Matt, at this point, you're, you are pedalling as hard as you can go. And like you say, it was a real, it looked like a real rut because you, you're in this kind of no man's land. It wasn't a natural progression route really anywhere, was it? No. No, I mean, that was what was really difficult because we lacked probably, it, like as we, we may discuss later on, there is no ladder in, in UK rallying. And I was at BTRDA level and the costs to run a 1400 car or a modest spec four wheel drive car was similar, but then to go to BRC and run top spec group pen or super 1600, it wasn't just an extra 10 grand. It was an extra hundred grand. And the chances of making that leap were for me, slim to none at the time. Um, so we tried to do BRC challenge to win the entries, but we had a nightmare with the, the, the sister MG that year. We did, two bottom arm failures, three bottom arms of failures in the same place. And we had a, a on Ulster, I forget, we got to the end of Glen Dunn stage and I sat on the stop line and a 10 mil nut off the inlet manifold trumpet dropped into the cylinder. And uh, we just had a, a series of freak things go on like that. Um, so pretty disastrous 2011, although we won the Bulldog and a couple of other events um, in four wheel drive cars with Jeff Jones again. Yeah. Um, 2012, we went down the Evo route, uh, back into BTRDA, but a, a more, more aggressive go at four wheel drive, shall we say? Um, again, limited budget. I was doing the car predominantly myself. Um, yeah. I remember that you had different wheels on all four corners on one particular service area. I think it's maybe the widening, and you were changing them all <laughs> yourself. And you, the, the tires were matched, but the <laughs> wheels were different yeah. colours and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's just kind of how it kind of how it had to be you know we were still you know Sambo will tell you we were still sleeping in tents you know the the budget was going on car uh, and just get into the rally um you know there was no there was no ex extravagance at all to, yeah. towards yeah. it and you know that that was a brilliant year we you know to get that experience in four-wheel drive was huge you know I loved the BTRDA events they were great events to do it was good competition um and I think we were we were second overall in the championship that year against you know there's a lot of world rally cars in there and you know it was a it was a group n plus car rather than a b13 really it didn't have a lot of power but it was it was like a, a an ikea shifter in the gearbox so it was made a, a unusual h pattern gearbox or sequential so it it wasn't it wasn't a sequential gearbox as such but it, you know it did the job it was reliable how do you find the four-wheel drive cars after being sort of predominantly with the front-wheel drive stuff? So when you went to four-wheel drive, did you find it was a big change, or did you kind of adapt to it pretty pretty easily? It was it was okay to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think front to four is an easier transition than rear to to anything really. Uh, it's uh, it no, just you know, my driving style is predominantly straight lines anyway. I don't yeah. really throw any car around a lot, so where the driven wheels are didn't you know doesn't really affect my focus in driving a car so yeah you know, to, to to drive the four wheel drive car was you know was it was fairly natural really and 
Yeah. Just carrying the speed like you would in a, it, it almost felt slower than the 1400 because you're having to take such chances to, 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 to stay on the pace. It was, it was yeah. Good. yeah. Did it feel like that next step, if it ever would materialize was just such a long way away because the car was, you know, it wasn't the most late, the latest model. It wasn't um, the fastest thing out there. You, you were working on it yourself. I say different colored wheels in each corner. You, it felt looking on the outside until that RAC Mark II drive came along and you kind of um, hit a new um, level of headline with that. It just felt like you'd kind of drop back into someone who'd just be a good clubman. You know, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's all it really looked like was possible. You know, I mean, I banged my head against a brick wall for years trying to find that extra bit of sponsorship that would yeah. break into a bigger opportunity, if you like. It was hard enough doing BTRDA, which, you know, I was still enjoying it, don't get me wrong. But there was always that, you know, how on earth do I find this extra yeah. money? I can't put any more effort in. I cannot work any harder for it. And, you know, that's where we had a long discussion with Peter. At the time, Julian Reynolds, Nick Elliott were making a big row on the historic scene. Mm. And that's where that sort of sidestep came in because we were trying to get some more publicity, some more, um, not credibility, I don't think is the word, but just just a bit more hype going. Yeah, profile. Go, go where the hype was. And, well, you know, before that, Malcolm had done the, the RAC against, um, oh, what's he, the Irish guy? Um, Cormac, Marty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was all that stuff going on. And that, you know, that, that was big. And obviously, like you say, historic had gone, historic rallying had gone, had gone pretty high profile. Um, and there's a lot of people coming back and doing the RAC work. They like being a big yeah. name and stuff. So, um, yeah. and the pace was good. What, you know, pace was pretty, pretty, you know, pretty. It was pretty hot. Good. Yeah. The pace was high. Um, yeah. So we thought, you know, we'd try and try and sort of burst onto that scene without doing any sort of high profile testing or anything beforehand. And yeah. Um, we did a couple of shakedowns at Sweet Lamb and things like that, and then went straight to the event in a the car at that time had a whole bay in it, uh, Warrior engine. And as Sam, I don't know if anybody listened to Sam Collis's night with his car club that he did on Facebook not long ago, but that night in the woods when that car went bang was a very very low point. First stage or second? Cause I, first I, I, stage. I, I mean, I came past and I was like, I was way back and I came past. I was like. I can't believe it. that was like first stage. It was like half yeah. the stage. Just so you pulled up at the side of the road. I'm like, it was only. It, I don't think it was three mile in. Really? You know, just literally came out of a junction. First, second, third sounded a bit rough, and then before, he, even really before he had a chance to to turn it off, it it just blew a massive hole in the block. And For anyone listening to put that in perspective, normally a rally is you know forty odd competitive miles. It it's finished within a day. This is. A marathon. What was it then? It was four days that year, wasn't it? Four or five? Uh, Three or four days, yeah. Yeah, four days, I think it was that year. And it, it was just a marathon. It is huge mileage. It's, it's tough, tough stages. It's, but you see the toll that it takes on the drivers by the end of that event. It's one of the best events that we have in Britain. Full stop. It's probably even better than the original. Um, and to, to go out in the first stage of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was just, I mean, I definitely had a love-hate relationship with that car because... <laughs> When it was when it was working, you know we were we were fastest. I don't think that that was in doubt because we did. I don't think we got a time on the board until. This, I get these years a little bit confused in my own mind now. 
the, the first year, it took us a while to get a time on the board because we had a rotor arm go on mid-Wales. Uh, Red Kite was cancelled because we put a yeah. BD in. I did a little video to say, actually, we were ready, but the rally never happened. <laughs> uh, I, I put the BD in that um, a little workshop and uh, we did a little donut around because it was ice and snow, so they cancelled it. But, um, and then, so the Red Kite was cancelled. Mid-Wales, we had a rotor arm go halfway through the first stage again. So we've started three rallies and we've not even got stage time on the board yet. And uh, then we, we did a bit hamstring and we finished um, learnt, learnt the car throughout that year, really. And um, it did the RAC again with, again, a couple of four-wheel drive outings in, in the middle because I, I still had the Evo. Um, yeah. You were hiring that out, weren't you, at this point? Um, no. That one, the, the higher car was actually after I'd reshelled the Evo into a lightweight one. So I reshelled that into a lightweight shell and then put the the running gear into a standard car, uh, the standard car running gear into that original shell and created a higher car, basically. Trying it looks really like your focus had really shifted from really pushing anything career-wise and more towards running a business to sustain you then doing the odd event, which you yeah. continue to do. But was it 2015 that you did very few? Yeah, it's very few. Like four well, events, five events or something. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the year I had a nasty accident um, on the Malcolm Wilson rally. So, you know, at that point, the business had, uh, you know, my, my work was very much motorsport based or motor industry based. Um, and as you say, that was to try and sustain what running I could do. But I was doing a lot of events. Yeah, I was doing a lot of Yeah, I was doing something on it on most events, as you say. And um, I started doing a bit of co-driving. Uh, you know, with Peter and various single venues with, with customers, if you like, just, just helping out. And um, so I was starting to quite enjoy the co-driving and it was proving to be quite valuable. Well, people saw value in me co-driving, uh, you know, as a driver and helping yeah. out doing both jobs at once, if you like. And but yeah, 2015 was a tough year with the accident for sure and knocked a lot of the wind out of the sails with, with where we were going. But Literally. at the same time, that was where more opportunities started to come through with, with Peter, with Swift. Mm. So how did that all, because I saw it all happen, obviously, and, and it was a, a bit of a surprise, but we'd known there were a few sort of occasional things and yeah. it just, that deal came together and just seemed, everything seemed to click. How, how did that all come about? Guy, you must have been quite instrumental <laughs> in this, were you? So, no, I, I'm very much kept in the dark of what's going on. With my dad, he, he does what he wants and that's he just does what he wants so basically if he's doing it he's doing it he doesn't really consult with anybody um which you, you may know so um you know it, but you know i remember you know i remember him doing it it was great obviously you know as i said before to get to get to get back he just wanted to help somebody you know he was enjoying his rallying he'd rallied long you know a long time ago he got back into it um you know matt sort of you know sort of helped him you know he said he drove for him and stuff and i think he he just thought you know he's a nice kid he works hard. He's, he's, a, he's a great talent, but he's, he's, he's sort of got to this sort of, you know, this sort of fork in the road where he's either he's got you know another shot of trying to get there, or or he, or he just ends up being a, you know, a clubman driver running running a prep business. And 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 I think he just thought, well, you know, I, I can I can help him. There's an opportunity. You know, let let's let's go for it. You know, and uh, it, you know maybe it was a bit of a gamble, but it certainly paid off. So, you know. Definitely. We drove quite a few different cars in that year as well, Matt. 2016 was the year of um, drivetrains for you, wasn't it? 
just about every drivetrain you possibly could have driven that year. Yeah, well, it it was a funny one because um, that late 2015, I was just getting over the accident, and there was a phone call to say, look, DMAC are putting a, a two-car R5 team together for British Championship of 2016. Elvin is going to be one. Uh, no, Max Fattenham was going to be one. And DMAC were going to do like a shootout for the second seat. And at that time, I'd spent six months doing very little because of my injuries. And I was just trying to get fit again. And they said, right, there's going to be a fitness test, a media test and a driving event like there was in the Fiesta shootout. And Pete says, look, you know, we'll get you in it. Um, but we'll, we'll try and make some sort of account for the fact that you've been injured for six months. And, and I said, no. If I'm going to be in it, I want to. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to win on merit. So that's when. I mean, anybody that knows me from school will know when I was a shocking runner. But I started running. I did one mile, two mile, three mile, four mile, and in six months, I'd got on the bike, doing big mileage on the bike and running, and I'd got you know the fittest I'd probably been you know in my whole life really. I say that again. I, so I even got you running in bin bags later on. You did, yeah. That was not that long ago either. <laughs> running in so, bin bags. But yeah. The best way to lose weight, you put a bin bag, you, you make a hole in the top. It's like Rocky style. You put it on and then you put your shirt over the top. And of course, it, it just sticks to you. So you just sweat like crazy. So you just, if you do that every time you train, you just, you just get rid of like excess fluid and, and eventually your, your weight drops. I, I remember, but I, I took <laughs> the I made trousers out of it as well. And if you're watching this, you'll know I'm shaking my head and looking bewildered. I took my bin bag into my socks and all the, all the sweat ran down into my shoes. So you didn't tell me what, what to do with that bit. And it was quite well, just... you, you, well, What about your tackle? You need to get some talc on here. Because I'll tell you what, you don't, you, don't want, you don't want sweaty balls, do you? But no, it, it, <laughs> it actually comes from a friend of mine that I trained with at the gym. He started doing it. And we, we'd, we'd sort of set a challenge about trying to drop, all trying to lose some weight and what have you. So he was, every time he was training, was coming in with these bin bags. I'm like, what's the, what are they for? He said, oh, yeah, you do it and you sweat. And gradually, I mean, you gradually start to just, because you work harder as well, so you gradually start to lose weight. And uh, so I told Matt about it. You doing. work harder. So what, you've got a bin bag on, it's like, right, now let's have it. Well, no, because your body's having to work harder because it's, it's, it's getting too hot. Right. You, start, yeah. you sweat more and it just has to, you know, you burn more calories. And um, yeah, it's, it's not very nice. But then obviously got Matt doing it because Matt's like, yeah, I want to lose some weight. I want to get, you know, I want to get ready for the season. So I said, try the bin bags. So they kept sending me these messages of him like sweating, like, you know. So you should try it, Paul. <laughs> yeah, might, might do that. Next time you've got a bike that cold out. <laughs> Next time you've got a bike ride. Yeah, yeah, get that COVID out. I mean, cold out. Um, oh, God, I've just bought a nice 71 Clan Crusader. My wife thinks I'm eccentric enough. I can't go out wearing a bin bag. <laughs> you had to anyway, get so the Crusader bin... on my podcast, didn't you? <laughs> I did, I did. I got it on podcast. So year of the bin bag. And, yeah, uh, the bin bag. So <laughs> this this shootout anyway never happens. But I've got fit, and Peter says, right, well we're going to have to go group N then if we're not going to be in an R five. Why didn't it happen? Why didn't the shootout happen? I have no idea. It just just never happened. Uh, and Elvin ended up with the second car, so it was Elvin and Batman in two car yeah. DMAC team. Uh, but DMAC supported us with tyres for the Evo for twenty sixteen, um, and so I, we, we built. There was, wasn't a Group N car that we could be absolutely guaranteed was straight enough to go to an FIA basically sanctioned event and you know be all scrutinied up and everything. So we built one uh, in very short space of time. Um, 
I, I just seem to remember there was a really, there still is a really difficult neighbour at the workshop whose window overlooks sort of like the entrance to my workshop. And uh, I remember cutting out like cardboard and covering the skylights so that the lights could be on in inside, but they wouldn't show that I was there because he would complain to the council if I was there after 6.30. So I used to put spotlights up, blank out all the lights in the building with these cardboard cutouts so I could work all night on the car. And I got the car built in about five, six weeks. A little bit of help here and there from people, but um, and we went and did the Bulldog and we, I think we were fourth, fifth overall after the first night of that. And I believe it was after that event that Peter originally went to the board at Swift and said, right, how do we get this R5 show on the road? Um, and it wasn't until the engine had burnt a piston at T. Croix, we went to do T. Croix as a test for Circuit of Ireland, um, just to drive an Evo on tarmac, which I'd never done before. Uh, and I was peering down the bores of this car, head had come off, block had gone away, and I'm looking down this empty, empty block head in the engine bay thinking I've just built this car I've pulled it all to bits it's got to be on the ferry next week to go to Circuit of Ireland when is this gonna provide some sort of reward for you know what seems like endless blood sweat and tears and I remember the phone was resting on the block on the block in the engine bay Pete was on speaker and he said um, I just said when's it all gonna be worth it I've just had enough of this you know how long do I keep doing this for and he just said, don't worry, it'll be worth it. And I said, yeah, I know, well, we've said this before. <laughs> and he said, don't worry, there's an R5 coming through Swift with your name on it. And that was like, that was, I can remember the feeling that came over me when he said that now. And it was just like, absolutely mental. And he said, if you go and finish the Group N job off before Ulster, we can do Ulster and the Manx and the R5 at the end of this year. And that's what, that's what we went and did, but that was like, I, I, I couldn't tell anybody either. <laughs> that was the deal. I couldn't tell a soul apart from the person that was stood next to me <laughs> when the phone call was on. But that was a, a cousin cousin of mine, Reese. He was there just checking that I put the timing back right on this, this engine. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a massive, a massive moment. And, so how was it <laughs> behind the wheel of the R5 then? So the first time you get to drive it, what was... How, where was it and how, how was it? Well, we actually, with that going on in the background, we did, um, we did Carlisle stages in uh, the, the M Sport test car. Um, so my first taste was a, just a run up and down Kerbride Airfield in one. Uh, did a bit of a seat fit in and all the rest of it. And to be honest, because I'd driven that many different cars, even to that point, okay, not really power or, you know, it the R5, as most people know, isn't the most powerful car, but it's the braking and the handling. And to be honest, I just I just let rip. Just just went up and down this runway flat out and got a feel for the dynamics of the car, the braking, the turn in. And uh, John Millington was sat with me. He, you know, yeah. it was a massive massive influence in, in that event, getting me through that. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a mega experience. And then we went to Pete's Pete's uh, little little place uh, outside Penrith and. Had a little go on the gravel the day before the rally, and yeah, it was it was a mega experience. Yeah, yeah, good. You you're in an R5. It just must have felt like everything you'd done 
now look like it was taking a bit of shape thanks to the support from Swift and, and from Peter. Yeah, that, that's right. And because of various things that I'd done along the way, so I'd always had sort of like a left-hand drive road car knocking around, you know, since that incident in M Sport where I hadn't driven one, it's like, ah, well, what if somebody chucked me the keys to, to a left-hand drive rally car? I want to be ready to do it. I don't want to say, I don't want to use, I mean, no disrespect to Phil Morrow, but I always remember watching a BRC review where he mentioned several times that the car was left-hand drive, he was used to right-hand drive. And I thought, I just don't want to be using that as a, excuse. not an excuse, but I didn't want it to be a reason for me not to perform. Yeah. So I always had a left-hand drive car about, and, you know, I'd done quite a bit to make sure I was ready, like the fitness and things like that. And, you know, always done my homework on the notes and DVDs. And, you know, I was just, I just felt, it felt comfortable straight away in the car to drive. And, you know, we step three or four fastest stage times on the Carlisle stages and we're leading going into the last couple of stages. but a couple of electrical problems prevented us winning that first rally but at, at the time it still knew that there was Ulster and um, Manx potentially on the cards with an R5 but that wasn't that certainly wasn't public knowledge at that time. So you talked about getting the show on the road and, and actually it, I, thought, I don't think it was until the beginning of next year at the Autosports show but the Swift rally team and, and you guys really did get the show on the road it was kind of like that that scene in, in Rocky where um, all of a sudden all the, all the promo stuff arrives and all, all the, the cardboard cutouts of Matt Edwards um, <laughs> were at the auto spot. I've even on my wall here. I've got to show you. You know, I've got one for a year, Matt. I did show you it, but um, yeah, my dad bought, managed yeah, to yeah, find yeah. one of those from the auto spot. Yeah, all of a sudden the, the, the merchandise arrived. And it was a big show, wasn't it? I've got, I've got two. Have you? You got, are you you're going to get really nerdy here now, aren't you? He's got, he's got the Swift caravan as well to go with it. That that's cool. Yeah. yeah. My kids have actually made made one each, so uh, that's yeah. So yeah, yeah well, the merchandise I've got. <laughs> yeah. Cardboard cutouts of Matt Edwards at the Autosport show, getting into a caravan. Um but the, the partnership was real, wasn't it? It wasn't just um a logo on the side with a bit of support. It was really two way. You were you were helping to flog caravans and, and promote yeah. that brand. I'm even on a, a launch for the uh, Kentucky Dynamique Motorhome. We, we did a three day video shoot. Of... Did it roll off the tongue better back then? And despite that, yeah. we have sold some despite that, Matt, as well. So. <laughs> well, despite, not because of me being in it, but despite <laughs> me being in it. But it was, uh, you don't see a lot of that, surreal. do you? You really no, don't. It was a surreal, surreal thing all of a sudden. It's like you, you, you are it. And it's, you know, there, there wasn't another. Uh, team in the BRC that was a pure sponsor driver relationship. Most of the teams in the BRC are family or family yeah. business run, you know, with that, with that budget. And, you know, I've, I've, but the funny thing is I've never felt like the swift work, if you call it work was a, a chore. It was always, you know, this is, this is just the accepted part of, that deal that you know there's never a you know I, I always felt like an employee of Swift if that makes sense because you know they were giving me a huge leg up into what I wanted to do and it just it just seemed like a an easy natural thing to do you know when it's a bit like Mike my, my, my Broadhead with like Russell Brooks with the heat for hire thing you know yeah similar, similar thing. You know, having, having that relationship and and you know that they've got the support and actually you know like from, from Swift's point of view obviously 
through 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 my dad's motorsport and my my racing and you know it's always been into motorsport because that's what we we love doing but you know there is real brand value in in doing the rallying because actually a lot of people that go rallying or watch rallying buy our, buy our products whether it be the caravans or motorhomes so you know it, it's not it's not just because we love motorsport it's actually because there's a there's a, a you know a definite um, relationship between our customers and what we do. And, and, and it's very hard to say, well, yeah, do we sell more product? It's, it's, it's a difficult one to answer, but you know, it's, it's about brand awareness and, and certainly through the rallying, um, you know, we've had a lot of exposure and, you know, in the day of being British rally champion, there's no better exposure out there, is there? So it's been really good. No, yeah. I think the dynamique was actually born out of the first trip for Swift to the autosport show, wasn't it? It was like, well, this can't tow, this much weight you can't put tires in the back you can't do this yeah and then i think your dad and the marketing team actually went and said well let's let's build one that we can do that with and that went there the following year it was fantastic well, saying, well, what do we do well we need to do a debrief we need to you know we need to get four or five people around a table we need to you know we need some storage we need this we need that so you actually basically put a list together of what you kind of ideally what you want and then you try and design the product around that so it's definitely motorsport inspired whether it be rallying or circuit racing because you know you know there's a lot of time hanging around and waiting around and stuff and, and generally everybody tends to collect to the motorhome everyone tends to looking at videos or on boards or whatever else and that's where everybody goes to so um absolutely it was, was kind of bought out of motorsport and it's been really you know really successful so how soon into this year matt did obviously you're doing selected events in the R5 and you, you, you're racking the results so you're impressing a few people most importantly the person with his company's name down the side of the car but how soon into that year or how far into that year did you know or have a pretty good feeling that 2017 would be big and you'd, you'd get the, the full backing? Um, 2017 was it was a funny year because I the first time with, with Darren Garrod on on uh, border counties it's like well this is the first time i've got somebody in the car that's got more experience than me so that was a massive help to have him there because we yeah. we had a bit of a dodgy event with tires um we're on the, that was the hankooks remember mm, yeah. so we, we were on hankooks that year they've done a deal with with hankooks which is they want to do like a a, a a sort of a development program which is great and 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 you know it's great that they wanted to partner up but Obviously, the, the, the tyres were, were, weren't they? Yeah, they, they, it, was a, it was a whole new kind of... See, I, see me, I wasn't even going to mention the name. <laughs> well, you know, let's get it out there. I remember sitting in the car with you. Well, actually, I remember I got in the car. You, you drove it and you were like, well, see what you think. And bearing in mind, I've got a, a Scooby-Doo when it comes to rallying. And I'm like, this car just feels like it's floating all over the place to me. And, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm fully... And, and you were like, well, I'm glad you said that because I felt the same. And I'm, well, and I'm thinking, well, I haven't got a clue. But... You know, it was definitely, um, uh, they were definitely on gravel, not, not, not the greatest. But, but having said that, on, on tarmac, outstanding. Yeah, they're so, brilliant. Yeah. You know, and, and I, think, I think, you know, that, the, the reason for doing the partnership was actually they, they probably knew that and wanted to develop it. And I think they, they did yeah. develop them. Um, and, and then when it came to the tarmac at the end of the year, I mean, you just I mean, you killed it. I mean. Yeah, we, we, were, we, were, we were second in Ypres second on the Nicky Grist 100 which was gravel and tarmac rally and we had a good we had a good run on the Manx um, and it's just like the the benefit of having Darren was that certainly on the border counties with the when I was worried about the tyres were that was my first event 
proper event on gravel in the R5. And I'm like, well, am I on the wrong side of the road? Am I putting the car in the wrong place? Or is this thing just trying to swap ends everywhere? Mm-hmm. And he just said, right, no, it's not you. Your, your lines are fine. Your notes are fine. Let's just put a completely different tire on. And then all of a sudden we were third fastest and it was, it was all fine. And, um, but that year was great. You know, we had a couple of good stage times in Ypres. Um, first fastest stage time in the BRC was stage five in Ypres 2017. Silly fact that I seem to remember. <laughs> and, um, but by the end, we were, we were actually in contention for the championship, which was absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And at that point, you must kind of get any confidence because, I mean, then you kind of really, A, proving it to, 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 to my dad and to Swift, but also to yourself that actually yeah. I'm in a hard five car and I'm actually beating, you know, beating guys that have been doing this, you know, R5 a lot longer than, than you have. So at that point, yeah. you must be starting to gain, gain confidence as well. In, in yeah, the- I, think, I think what was happening was I, I was... I was putting some really good stage times in and then like the difference between my fast stage time and my not as good stage time was still quite big. Mm. So I was still giving away a bit of time here and there, but I think as I got more confident throughout the year, the difference between my fastest stage time and my worst one wasn't as big. They're just more consistent on a, a you know, variety of stages, different, different, you know, surface changes and things like that. I was just more comfortable yeah, with yeah. The, with the car that I could. Talk about your profile as well, and the profile was was on the up as well. I mean, was it the Rally GB at the end of 2016 that you got to drive one of the iconic um, Volvo Recce cars as the? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, and it wasn't who's Matt Edwards. You know, you were you were an up and coming. I think people were yeah. describing you as people like me were describing you as um, in, in British rallying, and all of a sudden you're driving the M Sport Recce car as a course car for GB, which is quite an honour and stuff like that. Did it feel like the profile was starting to? slot in as well yeah definitely um but i know you I don't think, like talking about that side of it i know you're a bit like no, guys. It's, yeah it's not it's, i don't know i just don't see i still don't sort of feel of any different to i'm still stretching myself beyond to try and to try and do it so i my perception you know it may be if i'd been paid hundred thousand pound a year to do it and you know there was helicopters flying about and nice cars outside then then maybe that that situation would oh, be. Oh, you don't have that wrong though. Sorry, yeah. I have that wrong. <laughs> the perception is definitely very different. Um, but no, I still feel the same as I did in the Astra. You know, I'm still doing 110% to try and make it all work. But in 2017, you're doing all these things by the laxy wheel with Cronin and Freddie Arlin, and it's like you've still got a mathematical chance of winning the championship. And mm. as it turned out, what happened on the Isle of Man got me a seat in in rally gb in the full m sport setup treated like a works driver for the weekend it was like a mm. it was like a, this is not this is your life what's the jim will fix it type of weekend i remember you commented yeah, probably probably isn't one of them it, it was kind of you know it's kind of like you know the wipe the wipe your feet when you get in the car and stuff and all yeah yeah and it's like it's like it's like you know because obviously we'd run the car that year you know we'd yeah, run it yeah. ourselves and, and they're doing a great job and and, and the, the, the guys are great um, but of course, they're all, you know they're all. It's a steep learning curve because we've got this. This is Andy and Andy, isn't it? Andy and Andy, Andy yeah. And, and, and they still do all our stuff now, and they're brilliant. But brilliant it, guys. It, it's um, yeah, it's a you know, big learning curve because you know they're kind of learning the, the car and, and everything else. So, um, but yeah, obviously Matt had done this the rally with M Sport, and uh, I remember yeah I remember like Dad saying yeah M Sport so professional, and they, they have an umbrella for when they get in the car and do this and do that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like you know they're gonna get spoiled, you know they're gonna get spoiled because. You know, then the following year we actually did did the old 
you know, with M Sports to run the car. Yeah. Um, because but did you did you remember remind Malcolm just as you climbed in the car, Matt, that it was one time a day not long ago that he was lending you his Fiesta on the basis that if you bent it, you bought it. it that must have yeah, felt quite well, surreal. Well, it was it was really strange because I remember when I was working there to go to the lunchroom, I used to have to walk along the top corridor at M Sport along that's above the workshop. And I used to, every time you'd go there, you'd perhaps walk a little bit slower than Malcolm would like you to and look at the cars and look at what was going on. And literally 10 years later, I did the same walk and my car was down there. That must have just that, been a that fabulous, was, fabulous yeah, feeling. Men mental feeling to, for, that to be, for that to be going on, because obviously that was the start of 2018. And, and, yeah. Uh, so tell us about GB 2017, your experience as a works driver then. Be beyond the wiping your feet and having an umbrella held out for you when you got in the car, <laughs> did it feel like the bubble could burst any time or did it because you must have still felt if you feel you're still pushing beyond your means as it were you must have felt like this bubble could just burst any time just grab everything yeah I felt that time I felt a little bit more established with what was going on because even at that time there was a bit of a plan towards 2018 and you know there was a bit of momentum there with with what we'd done in 2017 um you know, we'd helped them sort out on the Manx and, you know, we'd therefore got a good good drive in on GB. And Was that where you dropped right back, wasn't it, for the points in, on the Manx? Yeah, well, we just, we did, basically, we, we had a problem on the last stage and Keith ended up winning the, the, the driver's title as well. Um, uh, look at that smile. <laughs> anyway, that was, that was hard work, that was. That was and a horrendous stage to drive but anyway however however that that that's what's set in some respect it's like one step forward for two you know sorry one step back two steps forward for the following year you know yeah well, well the hard the hard thing was i didn't know any of that at the time yeah that was a purely your dad said to me you know you do what you want and i was like oh fuck's sake you could have told me what to do <laughs> <laughs> but he, as always he just let me you know he let me make the decision yeah um, and I'd never forget the phone call Monday morning. Hi, this is Malcolm Wilson. I said, yeah, right. Who is it really? And they said, it's Malcolm Wilson. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, 20, the, the GB run was, was, was fantastic. You know, um, just the experience of a works team, how much they do for the drivers just to create that sort of comfort zone around them. And mm. all they're there to do then is drive the car. And you know we had we had a, we had a really strong event, 17th overall. We've had a couple of I think we had our fastest stage time in WRC two, and all oh, your wheels were the same colour. They were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a rarity, but you know it was just a fantastic experience. And you know to do to do three days in the R5 was a massive massive thing for me as well. Just the time in the car on familiar stages, and you know, had a great tire in the DMAC at that time as well, and that that yeah. worked really well for us. And um it just gave me a bit more of an incentive again that at that level i was still competing and that you know that is the world level there's nobody else these are the guys that you need to be yeah so to be on you know setting compet competitive times at that level was like actually I, ca I can do it i can go and win the british championship next year which for me was always the number one goal because even even that was out of reach up until that point so, you know, to set to set goals above BRC, even now, seems a bit unrealistic. Um, 
but that's not to say my ambition isn't to go and do it but the means to go and do it are, are sort of difficult to find because well, we'll, we'll get to that because there is a question from somebody on twitter actually about how a two-time british champion is not automatically a wrc driver so we'll, we'll get to that one um, it probably comes back to your, your comment earlier about the, the route through British motorsport as well. And although you've managed to make your way there, it's, it's not easy. But anyway, back to 2018. This is the year because I, and this is a special year um, for my special stage side of things as well with the Rally TV because you were doing BTRDA and um, BRC back to back. So you've got the Swift car that you were doing using previously in the BTRDA being run by the two Andes. Yeah. You've got the M Sport car. For BRC, and you're running those two campaigns back to back, which it looked like you'd bitten off quite a lot to chew, to be fair, at the start of 2018. And all the yeah. press releases and, and all the PR machine that was behind you, and all those models that all the kids were making. <laughs> who, who got yeah, the cardboard but... cutout, Matt Edwards, by the way? Have you still got that? No, I haven't got it. <laughs> I got one of the banners at the end of 2018 when we won, but I haven't got, I haven't got any cutouts. You got it. I bet you got it. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're staying there. You're staying there. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it, was, it was still the year. It was still, it was definitely the year I needed because even at that time, previously, we'd done no testing at all. We'd just gone to the BRC events, no test, just done the shakedown and off you go. And every time I turned up to the, to the, to the car in the service area after we'd done a recce, it was brand new, clean again after the previous event. And it still looked like a spaceship when I got in it. Mm. You know, it still mm. felt like alien to me because up until that point every car i'd driven i'd stuck it on the trailer taken it home washed it cleaned it reprepped it and you kind of build a level of well you sort of build a relationship with the car if you like you understand it you know its little quirks you know everything about it yeah but yeah, with yeah. this car i didn't know anything about it i didn't know anything mechanically how it worked no, nothing I'd, i hadn't even seen underneath it you know, and it's like that was a really strange and difficult thing for me to understand uh, and to drive a car that I had no understanding of. You know, just just throw it through that rut or throw it in the ditch there and drive over everything you want. It'll take it type of thing. And that, you know, that to me was a really alien concept. Um, Sorry, can't always take it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, anyway. So, twenty eighteen was the year that I really sort of. I was in the car enough to be to understand it more and be comfortable with it every time I got in it. And, you know, the first stage of every rally, I could just, you know, pick the right tyre and just go for it. And that, the that two was... cars different? Uh, no. No, they, they, the, the setups from one we were using on the other yeah. and vice versa, as we found a thing that worked or didn't work, we would, you know, what the, the BTIDA was a test bed for BRC, really. Um, yeah. But that year, so fortunate to have a test before every rally as well. Mm. And that was just like an incredible year of, of building the knowledge in those cars that, you know, I, feel, I felt it topped up every rally as well. It wasn't like I would get out the car and get back in it without retaining it. And I think that's stayed with me now. It's that year has just built layer upon layer, layer of, of information, knowledge and experience that, makes it a lot easier to jump back in that sort of car now, on demand, if you like. And course, then you say that the BTRDA... Sorry, sorry. so that was the first year that, that UASA joined as well, wasn't it, as a, as a partner? That was yeah. their, kind of, their sort of introduction to rallying, um, which, yeah. which they've done a little bit with previously. But 
that's obviously starts a relationship with, with, with the guys there, which obviously, you know, goes on to develop, but um, yeah, it must've been good to have their sort of their support as well. In addition to the stuff with Swift. Yeah. And Pirelli was a big, big help as well. You know, we had a Pirelli tire engineer there every time and, you know, that information that, you know, everything then became a science. It yeah. was very detailed, very well professional. That's, that's kind of how you do it. It's, it's not even a case of, you know, it, it looks flashy. It, you know, it, there is a tangible benefit on the clock to what was going on that year. And there must be some pressure because obviously, in your, at that point, from M Sports' point of view, you know, selling our five cars is their business. And yeah. in terms of the BRC, you know, as they've done the year before, they had to, they really had to win it in order to, you know, sort of sell cars. So now it's on your shoulders to do that. You're the guy. It's not Cronin now. It's you. You know, yeah. you. How does that feel? You know, having that because you. You know, before you're probably doing it for yourself and the pressure's like how am I going to get to the next event but now yeah. now, you've, now you know you're going to do the event it's like well how you know now I've got to perform and I've got to win so it's a different pressure isn't it yeah it's different but I never I don't think I ever felt it in that way because there was such pressure to get to events before yeah now that there was a guarantee not a guarantee I couldn't obviously go and bin the car every rally but yeah now there was more um there was, there was a future yeah yeah it was like, well, there's no, there's no, the stresses that I normally had, I didn't have. And all I needed to worry about was drive the car. Yeah. There were so many things that I was fortunate to benefit from that year, you know, such as the tire engineer and, you know, hotels every night. That was a big one, yeah. you know, just things like that. The, it actually made it so much easier to do it rather than the pressure to do it from, from a pressure of a... And the other, the other big thing... From, from your point of view, which, which you know, I'm aware of, um, I don't know if many, many other people are, is the amount of preparation you put into the events um, in terms of with the notes and the videos. I mean, you know, I know you do a lot of stuff now, like you do like online coaching and stuff, um, you know, and it's about that preparation. You know, I think in, in, in circuit racing, there's a certain amount of preparation. We use simulators because we've got, we've got access to those and things like YouTube now and, and onboards and stuff. So we've got all of the kind of things and we use all those tools, but I know in rallying, you know, with all the different stages and stuff, it, you know, um, experience is key. Um, but again, you know, no matter how experienced you are, you still got to go and do your homework and understand the stages and, you know, like you do piecing videos together to make up stages. And, yeah. and, and you know, there's a lot of work involved. Um, and it's very easy to sort of like take, the, you know, take a shortcut and not really spend the time on the notes, not spend the time on the videos. But obviously you pay for it on the event and, and preparation is something that you've really kind of you know, taken it very, very seriously, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, that, that year, again, 2018, because I didn't have the car to prepare, or 2017 as well, Yeah, I, I could concentrate more on the fitness, the preparation, um, and it just, it, what, what you would deem putting pressure on, driving for a team and expecting results, it actually took more pressure off me than it put on, if that made sense. Um, time to focus on, on the rally and think about yeah, what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. the, the easiest part of the rally for me used to be just driving the, when I got to the rally and got in the car. Yeah. The rest of it before and after was hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so getting in the car was the easy bit. Now it was the, the absolute focus and, you know, just that, that 2018 year was, was fantastic. You, you made history that year. We, we talked about it at the BTRDA Awards um, and you'd expect me to, to bring you back to the BTRDA, but that championship had so much to do with you and your history and the way you'd come through the sport. And was it the woodpecker where you knew you'd won the BTRDA? I'm sure it was. And your dad was there. 
was it a woodpecker where you you seal the title? I think it was. And it's great. I'll share it on our yeah. Yeah. I'll share it on our Twitter and Instagram. There's a picture of you and your dad, which um, Wayne Goldring in Special Stage took. It was in the video actually. And your face, you've just got this gritty, determined. I've done it, and I'm about to do it again with the BRC, which was to come. Um, and your dad just looks ecstatic, and it's a, it's a brilliant photo. But your face says it all. That's not somebody who is overcome with relief or thinks that's it now. I've done it. That's just there's still so much determination in that face, and you've just sealed you know one of the biggest titles in British rallying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the championship that I've I associate to you know with you know hugely. You know, my dad organising one of the rallies and. He used to go all the way around the country, like late 80s, early 90s with him around all the events. Um, so that championship was really, really important to me. And I, that's the first chance I've had a first year I'd had a real chance to win it. Um, and it was such a, because we, we actually came back to that, the finish of the woodpecker with a, well, without a rear quarter, because we'd had a puncture on the last stage. And there were so many things resting on us winning that championship on the woodpecker because Matt Smith was due to run the car on the track rod the week after. Yeah. I was supposed to be in the 131 Fiat and there was something else going on as well. Oh yeah, Charlie Payne was hoping I wouldn't wouldn't do it so that he could win the track rod. But that didn't work out either. But we started that last stage and going down to the first corner I could feel a vibration on the left rear. It turned in and we ended up in the bushes. And it's like, we've got a puncture. We've only done half a mile down a straight with, with nothing, you know, there was literally nothing there. And then in an instant, four or five scenarios of me parking up at the side of the road to change the puncture, losing the rally. Then Matt doesn't get his drive. I don't drive the one, three, one. Charlie perhaps wins the track rod, <laughs> whatever happened. And I just thought, no, I've got to get this car to the finish and win the rally. And I remember coming up to the spectator point in Radnor, the flailing rubber actually hit the door latch and opened my door as well. <laughs> I got the door open. And shut, open and shut with this flailing rubber around, and we came back, and the car, the, the rear quarter was gone. But I just thought, well, Pete, if I, if I'd have stopped, Pete would have said, "What did you stop for? <laughs> you need to win the rally." So we, yeah, we won the rally and we tied it all up. But and you drove back to Ludlow, which is where you went to pick up that Mark II Astra with your dad. Exactly at the very yeah. beginning of this story, which is quite poetic, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and it's where we won the um, the fourteen hundreds in twenty ten as well. Yeah. So, so then it was just the the BRC. All focused on that. Yeah, and that was um, that was Rally GB um, 2018 double header. Um, there's a bit of poetry about that one as well because I actually see the title for that the the BRC on probably my favourite stage in the country, closest to the house, the end of Permachna, which once again tried to bite me but didn't quite succeed that time. And the famous stage, actually, one of the features in your rally, the Cambrian that your dad organises, of course. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, so again, to to clinch the title there. I remember well, that, was quite, that was quite a tense weekend, wasn't it? Because one of those where you, you just got to finish, and you've got to, you know, yeah. and you you've got to, you know, you know, rally into so many things that can go wrong and it'll happen. I know. Well, I mean, it's just the age-old thing, you know. You you try and take it easy in a rally, and it all goes wrong. You know, yeah. we went into that last stage, and had I been fighting for a position. I'd have taken a cut on the tarmac section that linked the two permacnos together. And I'd, I'd have taken the cut and it'd have been fine. But as I tried to avoid the cut, my back wheels got on the, on the, the shit in the middle of the road and spun us down the road backwards and clipped a bank. And it's like, how did that happen? I was only going for like 30, 40, well, it's probably a bit faster, but it felt like such a sedate approach yeah. speed. And uh, we ended up, 
having this incident and back wheels flapping around and we tried our best to secure, secure it and we had to drive 100k with this back wheel flapping around all over and Alex Laffey and um, uh, Patrick were behind us sort of trying to guard any view from the back as to how badly this car was crabbing all the way home but we, we got it there. And, I remember watching on the live timing. I'm texting my dad. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? Where, where is he? What's doing? You know, and we were just back and forth on the phone. And because obviously we, we couldn't actually watch, watch it live or anything, but we were trying to watch yeah. the timing because it only tells half the story, doesn't it? You know, yeah. Um, it was a bit of a drama, but you know, again, I, I wasn't believing that car in the stop line of the stage without getting it back there. There was always going to be a way to do it. And I think there's a picture of us, you know, getting out the car and I'm head to toe covered in in Permachno's finest mud and uh, you know it, the car was absolutely hanging there's stuff all over the back of the car that we pulled out to try and tie something together with the steering wheel was covered the seats were covered everything was covered um but just park it in M Sports garage and they sort it out you go into bed in the minibus it's absolutely brilliant <laughs> and it didn't <laughs> Come back the next day it was brand new <laughs> you 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 were at the end of that event you know a british rally champion you join an elite bunch of drivers who people hold up as their heroes and you've held up as your heroes for years that must have been especially making history with doing the british double as it were with the btrd and the brc in the same season that must just have felt very surreal i guess yeah, yeah it was. And, and then come christmas time you get the dvd with your picture on the front cover that i've always you know i've got the whole collection up there on the shelf and you know that's to have me on the front cover of one was just like that was pretty cool. It sounds like a very trivial thing, but when, when you've grown up with those those videos as your only real source to to see rallying until you know Sky and all the rest of it came along, you know those, those VHS videos were my link to to rallying. I was probably didn't really know it at the time, but I was probably four or five years behind what was actually happening. But I didn't I didn't have those at the time. So who who is your rally hero then, Matt? Who is your uh, David Swelling to start with? Yeah. Yeah, um, and again, that's a surreal one because he, he's rung me a few times about advice on his son, and I'm like, "What are you ringing me for?" <laughs> you know, about getting you know Ben into a into yeah. an R5. That was a discussion we had last year. Yeah, yeah, just people like that. You know, working with Nicky Grist and Phil Mills on projects and things that we're doing. And, you know, these people that are coming to me to. to you co-drove for Nicky in his oh, yeah. uh, Celica GT4, didn't you? Which is. Um, yeah. Yeah, he speaks very highly of you, as you know. That's that was uh, one of the coolest days out ever. That was. I bet it was. And then we pulled up at the end of the end of the day to this little little stage, not far from from here. And uh, he said, "Right, it's your go now, boy." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and uh, he let me have a little blast around one of these little stages at the end. So that was brilliant. That was a pretty surreal day. So we, you know, we're not even um, at 2019 yet, which you know, you had to really when you win the championship for the first time. Um, everyone's got a lot to say about championships like the BRC and you've, you've always got people that will say for whatever reason it was a one-off or it happened for this that or the other reason so that second one I felt looking at it from the outside and I, I was quite close to the story in 2019 because I was presenting the BRC coverage for with special stages as you know so I watched that unfold and it felt like you needed to do that more than win the first one yeah so, I mean yeah. The first one was a, was a shortened championship um, and, you know, people would say what, what they wanted to say about the fact that Keith didn't, didn't finish it and, yeah, yeah, it didn't really, 
I didn't think it devalued the championship because you've got to be there. You know, if he'd, if he'd have had the result in Ypres, he'd have probably carried on. But, you know, he didn't He didn't win that one. We did. Um, you know, and you can't... Re- I don't think it's fair to, to say that if somebody doesn't carry on with the championship, they, they would have won it if they had because so much in, in rote sport. And, you know, if they'd have had the results early on in the year, then yeah, it maybe would have done. But, you know, 2019... You know, massive, massive year with with Tom. Um, again, somebody you know I've always looked up to as a driver. He, he's had, well, I still view him as a you know a really good driver that's had you know a lot, probably a lot more opportunities than I have still. Um, a lot more BRC, a lot more sort of world championship experience. So to actually go head to head with him for the year was, you know, if there's anybody in the UK that I, I sort of think, oh. Tom's there. That's going to make it difficult, you know. That he, and it did, he, and it did, yeah. And but to do it in that in that fashion again was was probably as rewarding, if not more so, than the first one because of the, the, the fight thing, we had to go through to do it. The good thing about it as well, Tom was in a high, was in Hyundai, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He had that kind of Hyundai versus you know Ford kind of battle, which was which was great as well, and. It, obviously, both cars, I mean, speaking to you, they obviously have the strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, it's understanding the strength of your car versus his and, and vice versa and playing to those strengths, isn't it? And, and, and yeah. um, you know, it, it was, it was a, a, great, a great championship to, to watch and, and, and to follow. And it, it made, that's what really made it exciting. Because you said Tom, you know, Tom is a you know, hell of a driver um, in, a, in a great car. And, uh, you know, it made, makes for a great battle. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, me and Darren were... You know, we, we always well, we established in 2018 that there was stages that we knew suited me and suited the car, and we would just cherry pick really. You know, through the event, that's one to minimise the loss. Yeah, that's one to take time, and that's that's really how we've done it because, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say well, I wouldn't say I'm the fastest driver out there, but I've just been able to sort of manage manage and pick my fights if you like you know and take time where I know I can rather than try and take time where neither I nor the car is suited and that that then equates to taking a risk but, but Matt you see you see that in the WRC you know like with Loeb or, 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 or like with OJ very rarely you know is a case of do they have the fastest stage time but they're consistent yeah. bang 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 they know where they're strong they know where like you said it's reading the situation and actually it's not all about the bravado, is it? Uh, it's about racking up those those points and, and wins, or not wins, or even even you know those those points positions. Yeah. And it all adds up, doesn't it? And, and yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's great, you know. But in the in the two years we've we've you know had victories over the the people in the the rest of the people in the UK that you'd you'd aspire to beat. So if, you know, it, it didn't necessarily all happen in one year, but between the two, you, you know, you've got to be there and you've got to be in it to win it. So. And of course, that win on the Cambrian, that home victory, taking the title, and uh, and winning your home rally, and say, was that the first time you'd won the Cambrian outright? Yeah, 2018 was. Yeah. Yeah, 2018, and then to, to uh, do no, 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 2019. 2019, yeah. 2019, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, that, was, um, that was good. Yeah, and to come back as a, a double British Rally champion and start this season so strongly with a, a double, a back-to-back win on your home event. I know that was quite emotional for you as well. Um, and then it's all stopped. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy, isn't it? You know, we started the Cam- that Cambrian, again, it was a bit of an unknown. Well, it was a big unknown because 
I hadn't driven the car on gravel till the Friday. New car. Probably. It looks amazing with the US colour scheme. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was again. That was. There's probably a little bit more pressure with UASA from the point of view of sponsors and living up to expectation because old Mr Pritchard was very <laughs> expectant of, uh, of good things. So, but, you know, we, I just felt absolutely comfortable with that car the first time I drove it. And it just felt, um, it felt easy. It's, it's not, I don't know if it's the right word, but it's the closest word I can think to how it felt. It felt effortless to drive that that new Mark II Fiesta and when you'd been wringing the neck out of the old one for so long and the new one would just allow me to drive more how I would like to drive which is low revs use the torque no drama mm. straight lines the new car just totally enabled me to do that and you know Pamakno is a is a stage that I I know it very well but I know it's a very difficult stage and to drive that car through there, it just felt like a magic carpet, really. Um, That's a crazy the dampers, the, the dampers and the, the suspension on the bit around the mountain, which is notoriously bumpy, lots of bedrock. You know, the, the road isn't flat anywhere. Um, and just the sensation it got over there, it felt like a motorway. And mm. I just absolutely loved the car. And, you know, to, to take the time to get used to it, and still be setting fastest stage times was was really encouraging and just a massive shame that it, it that it's come to what it has this year. So you whatever happens, you go into twenty twenty one as the reigning champion. Um, so target still on the door. Will there be a door? Is there going to be a, a car with a cracking colour scheme like you've had for the last few years waiting at M Sport for you to jump in and drive? We hope so. Yeah, me, me and Guy were having a little little chat just before. Um, about what's what we're going to be trying to work on towards 2021. Um, I'm still as keen as ever. You know, there's no doubt that, you know, despite all this, it's it's probably given me the only time I've had in 17 years to actually reflect on what's gone on. Yeah. Because it's always been, right, that's rally's done. How do I find the budget for the next one? Or how do I start preparing? or get the onboards out for, for Ulster or the, the banks or get the, you know, it, but as soon as one rally stopped, there wasn't a week of, oh, that was brilliant, this was great, and all the rest of it. I, I would pick the bits of onboard that needed to be watched that weren't great or needed improving, do whatever we needed to do with them, and then it's literally straight on to the next event. But for the first time in 17 years, there hasn't been a date in the diary. And yeah. that's been very hard to adjust to. That's crazy. Um, but at the same time, been looking at trophies and you can actually digest what's yeah. got on for the first time, which I've never had the chance to do. Yeah. And of course, Guy, you've used this time business-wise because Greenlight's changed a little bit. Um, it's focused, yeah. which we haven't really talked about that much on the show, but it, you know, we, we always say power by Greenlight Sports Entertainment. It's actually sports management now, isn't it? So you've, it is, you've yeah. kind of refocused what you're doing. So that kind of both racing-wise and, um, and business-wise, and that's very instrumental in, I think, what's happening with Matt and the deal green lights heavily involved there as well so you yeah. guys are going to have your heads together business-wise as well as well you know we, we want to make it we want to make it happen obviously you know um you know Matt, matt's done an amazing job up, up till now and and you know to go back and win a third british ride championship i think as it but it's been done it's been done before never been done before so not three in a row no not three in a row so you know i think it'd be it'd be a, a, a crime not to be able to go and do that um but obviously we, we you know we've got to pick up we're kind of picking up from 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 the start again now so 
um, you know, we're, we've, we know we'll, we'll be starting having those conversations and seeing what, what we can do and um, speaking to um, Sport and, uh, and, and the guys that you asked and, and, and hopefully, you know, they're, they're, they're still enthusiastic and want to continue and, uh, you know, let's, let's watch your space. But uh, as I said, it'd be, it'd be a crime not to go back and, and go for, for, you know, three, three championships in a row. So, so here's, here's the thing. There's a couple of questions, Matt, that I want to put to you. The first one I'll ask you in this order simply because this was a question that was asked on Twitter by uh, one of our listeners. Why is a double British champion not teammates uh, Elf and Evans in the WRC? Why is, in, about, in the olden days, the British Championship was the championship people would come to to then springboard off into the, into the World Championship? How, I know it's a very naive question to ask because lots of things have to happen behind the scenes for that to happen. It's not as simple as you win this, you get this. But you are, you've won the top prize twice. So you've proved beyond any doubt that you deserve to be there. And there's no WRC. I know there's very few seats. Is that route not bad? Does it? Should we be doing more? Should Motorsport UK be doing more? Why does that route not exist? And why are we not talking about you naturally progressing because you've won those championships twice? I, th I think the difficult thing for me to accept when I won both titles was in the British Championship for both those years, there was a prize that gave progression to the winner in every category bar the top category. So I won it twice and there was no door unlocked. And I understand that the doors become a lot more expensive yeah. as the class, you know, the class goes up. But, you know, there just needs to be some sort of incentive, A, to bring the competition in, because if there's nothing there, not there's no point, because I, I personally wouldn't swap just the trophy for the world but there needs to be something to drag the younger drivers in you know or the, the drivers from other countries in yeah. to, to sort of to do the championship other than just it's the british championship it's the best domestic championship in the world which i still think it is given the variety of events which is fine but there isn't the depth of competition i don't think um although the championship pace translates really well to the world championship because myself tom whoever comes out of this championship goes and competes yeah high level but you know for me personally it is just a massive battle to try and find funds to to carry on because i've got no real leverage myself from personal finance to go and do it mm. it's not like i own a mark ii fiesta and i need the funds to go and run it i need 30 grand to hire it before i even start putting tires and fuel in it but you're at elite sport level, so there's an argument to say at that level, you should not, not you shouldn't have to, that suggests an air of entitlement, but at that level, people necessarily listening to this or fans watching from home wouldn't expect necessarily for you to have to pick up that tab. And again, that's to really, it's, it's, I'm packaging it so simply here. That's the thing, isn't it, really? Because not so long ago, the top drivers in the BRC were being paid good money. Yeah, for doing what we're doing now, so it is difficult to accept from the OEM's point of view as well. You know, people like Ford or Hyundai, they had more budget available, whether it be you know budget for the manufacturer or they had you know more sponsorship available, so they could pick and choose and, and promote drivers. You know, it, it, because they had they had money around. Whereas now it's the budgets are so tight. Yeah, just to just to even just to keep running. You know, a lot of it you see in Formula One. There's a lot of pay drivers in Formula One because these teams need to keep going. 
you know, before when you had all the manufacturers involved and, and you know, even alcohol and tobacco back in the day, you know, they had huge budgets and they could run numerous cars and they could put whoever they want in the car. And I think it's just that funnel just becomes, that pyramid just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. The opportunities become, you know, less and less and less. Um, and the costs go up and up and up. And um, I think when you do the British Ride Championship, it, it's, it's pretty expensive. I think once you start going to European events, it, 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 you know, there's a lot more travel. So the costs go up again. And then to go to W, you know, that's to do, similar cars in, in in Europe and then you go to WRC it goes up you know massively doesn't it um you know and El Elfin, I think Elfin's been I wouldn't say it's been it's been lucky I mean obviously the first year with DMAC and stuff has, has helped him and kind of got him into that next you know into that sort of next category or, or you know in WRC events but you know the hard thing is then staying there because you know once you get there you you got to you got to keep getting the results just to stay there haven't you Matt you know and we it, heard that from him as well from Elvin yeah, himself yeah, didn't he, we he was he was he was a whisker away of being of being kind of out out, out of WRC and and has managed to sort of just turn that around and, and and it's come good for him but it's always fine margins isn't it such fine margins between you know success and not and and in the day you know it could be Malcolm could ring up and say well I want you to do this this event for me in in wherever and that springboards then to other opportunities so all you can that do one phone call isn't it that you're just yeah, waiting yeah. to hear i mean I'm, I'm lucky i'm lucky enough that you know m sport look after me really well in terms of business my work you know i go all, all over the world teaching people how to drive r5 fiestas and you know other r5 cars as well but you know there's a real good relationship there but you know the difficulty is getting from from the work into the car to drive it on an event because there's such a high cost and yeah, you know, my ambition is still there to do it, but the mechanism to do it, you know, but then you look around at, you know, Portugal, Spain, France, all the domestic championships have an incentivized structure that, like, if you win the Peugeot Cup, you get a year in an R5 car. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, a lot of countries around the world have that sort of um, structure behind them that, Motorsport UK haven't put in for rallying. This is a horrible question to ask you, and I apologise for it in advance, but do you think, in your heart of hearts, you could still make it to the WRC? Um, yeah. I know I can, and I can, I capable, my capability is there, I know that. But I banged my head against the door long enough getting into BRC, and that, that happened. So I only need to try and, in my view, if I can stick around at this level long enough, trying to find a way in, I can do that as well. That's a really good yeah, even, even if I had one year in a WRC2, that would be, that would be mega. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'd be totally content because I'd love to go in a world car, even just to do GB or something just to, just to put it there to see how you get on. But. So drop it back another a notch then. You mentioned it earlier, and I know it's something you feel quite strongly about, um, as a lot of us do actually. The route through British rallying, you have found a way through that is, you listen to many of these things, Guy, and there's a lot of chance, there's a lot of this phone call happened, and, and without Peter and without Jeff before that, and uh, a few other people along the way, including your dad with his um, retirement prop from the fire brigade, you, you wouldn't have got where you are, but you didn't follow a path. You were kind of dropping between and hopping between these kind of lily pads weren't you all the way through there isn't really a defined path is there there's no there's no path at all um people want to be mark edwards in the future how do you how on earth do you do it i think you've just got to keep 
you've got to keep being there. You, you, there would have been no point when there wasn't anything obvious to do to do nothing, because you've got to be in the service area. You've got to be on events, and I think that's how it's happened. Because as you say, in the, the lean year I had doing events, I was still there, yeah. and I think that's why I turned um, like an employed job at M Sport into a business being around rallying was that I was always around rallying and around people interested in rallying and hence met Peter. Because well, if I hadn't have been around it, doing it all the time, I wouldn't have met the people and had the contacts and then the opportunities don't come. Yeah, you're more likely to strike, strike up a conversation in the service area than you are sat at home. Yeah. You know, not in there. So out of sight, out of mind. And you know, I say that to a lot of my you know, racing driver, you know, kids and stuff. So, you know, it's all about being present and 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 being you know getting your name out there because don't just assume that people are going to ring pick up the phone and ring you up because they were but if you're out there you speak to people the chances of actually getting an opportunity are far greater so you've got to be proactive yeah. if you if you don't be, if you're not proactive you know i'm sure there's a lot of ride drivers that are so, sort of listening to this and thinking well you know but if i just maybe been a you know because i mean i mean there's been a million times where you've th thought about giving up and saying well this is you know it's never going to happen i'm never going to get an opportunity and, and you go to bed and think, I'm going to give up. And then you wake up next morning and say, well, no, sod that. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And it's that, it's that tenacity that keeps going. If, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I've, I've never thought I'm going to give up. I, that, that's actually never crossed my mind. Really? It's always been, how do I get to the next bit? I mean, even when the car breaks down or there's a problem in the car, I've never found myself swearing and kicking things. Yeah. It's always, how the hell do I get this car to the end of the stage? Yeah. And that, it's funny that it's, it's a subconscious thing because it just, the give up thing never comes, comes into my mind. And there's been enough low points to give me the opportunity to get out with a justified reason. Yeah. Yeah. I've run out of money or this happened or that happened or yeah. whatever. There's been plenty of those chances yeah, to well, get I mean, out. A lot of people thought, well, I haven't, I haven't got, you know, I haven't got that extra 500 quid for the weekend. So I won't do the rally. Whereas you'd probably say, well, I'll, I'll do it and I'll find, I'll somehow find it. Yeah. You know to me, but it, it's yeah. a lot of people that would say, well, uh, oh, well, I'm going to have to sleep in my car. I can't afford a hotel. Well, I'm not going to do the rally. Yeah, well, I, th I, th I think the big there is a big problem with people's perception of, if I can call it, the perception of I can't afford it. Mm. There's a lot of young drivers there that have got ability, but their level of can't afford it means I've still got me... My, my um a nice car and finance outside yeah i'm still going out partying at the weekend i'm yeah. still going on holiday yes i can't afford to do that rally yeah my level of it was i can't afford to do the rally if i'm sleeping in a tent i've got four part worn tires or whatever do you know what i mean yeah there was there was everything i was all in everything that i, I could give was in the pot yeah yeah i think until you've reached that level of everything's in the pot and I've still not got enough. Yeah. Then you're not doing the rally. Yeah. And I don't think there's anybody currently that is truthfully all in, you know, that thinks that they can make it. And I think that's, you know, probably, okay, people may criticize for that opinion, but I think that is a big part of what is going on in the UK with younger drivers at the moment. Yeah, it's a really, um, really honest way of looking at it from someone who has got to the top of the sport in this country. I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this, even those who you probably have described quite 
um, appropriately, they'll probably <laughs> resonate with that. I think I think I'll probably go some way as to giving some people a few things to think about. Yeah, well, like, okay, at, the at the end of the day, though, it's like I've I've still not I've, to say I've still not not got anything is is not totally true. But you know, there isn't a flash car outside, mm. and I'm sitting in a flat that's got a little kitchen, a little bathroom, and a bedroom. Mm. The, you know, the perception that a British I will never forget actually a, a young lad that I'm working with, Fraser Anderson. Um, he he bought a car off me, my my Fiesta R2 hire car. Uh, I wanted to go and do a test, and I was up all night doing the brakes. The brake caliper seals weren't working, uh, and I turned up uh, six o'clock in the morning, slept in the van. When they got there, they were they found me asleep in the van, uh, and they didn't actually realise till about five minutes into the conversation that I was my Edwards. They were waiting for me to come in a car, something like that, and with mechanics. And I'd taken the car there on my own. I was the tuition. I was doing the tuition, and I was the mechanic on the car, all in one go. And they were like, it almost blew them away to think that the double brick champion <laughs> is is doing that. And that's you know that's just me. That's just how it is. That's how I do it. And like they, they couldn't believe that that's kind of still the. the you know the perception of the double British rally champion isn't, yeah. You know, towing the car, up all night, mechanic, all the rest of it. It's arriving a nice posh car, and you know, that that's just the perception that people have until they really know the story, which is a shame, really, for the state of British rally. Well, but we're still going. <laughs> well, we we still have the, the most important question of all to come to, which is um, which involves small furry animals but um before that guy has a few more quick oh, fire questions to, to fling at you so none of this thoughtful matt edwards i'm going to give an answer that i think that malcolm wilson might want to hear if i'm getting interviewed by wrc tv just fling us the first thing back that comes to your mind yeah okay good i do my best i do my best to sort of tweak these uh paul to, yeah. actually before we go any further I've, I've wanted to ask this a few times and i haven't even when the camera's been off what are those trophies behind you, Guy, with the racing cars in, like Formula One cars? Or... Oh, actually, these ones, I've inherited these. Um, they are from the Odd Sport Awards. So they're basically like table... They're gone oh, table, table centres. But actually, they, they actually came from my dad. as a recent acquisition because he um, was moving house and they were in his garage gathering dust. He said, did, did, I, did I want them? I was... stare at those oh, guy, the table guy, there. I, I... Have you yeah. got any trophies behind you for being able to turn left as well as right? I have actually, <laughs> <laughs> but not gravel ones. Yeah, I'm alright on the tarmac ones, but not, but not, <laughs> not gravel. As you well know, because you've, you've had danger. You know, you've actually sat with me, which is quite quite scary. So, um, well, that answers the question anyway. I thought maybe it was a an, an unheard of prize in Formula One that we'd uh, we'd missed. No, they're, 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 they're recent. They're recent. Just I remember staring at those table centres at the Autosport Awards and thinking. Wow, and then you see how much they go for in the auction. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Gathering dust, so uh, yeah, so I've, 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 I've claimed those. Um, right, Very nice. are we ready then? Okay, yeah. so Matt, uh, Top Gear or Grand Tour? Mm, Grand Tour. Uh, road Rally or Gravel? Rally. Gravel. Uh, beach advent, beach holiday or adventure holiday? You, you, you were about other holidays. <laughs> uh, what a oh, holiday! <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the big question, Matt. 
Dogs or cats? Absolutely neither. No chance. Really? Yeah, I'm allergic to both, so no chance. <laughs> That's the first. Paul's, yeah. Paul, Paul's like... I, I'm allergic to both as well, but I have a preference, Matt. Well, the preference is they're not in my house. That's fine. <laughs> so you see someone walking down the street, right? They're walking a dog. They're walking a... Uh, they wouldn't walk a cat, would they? You'd think that was pretty weird anyway. Although there is somebody in your town. There's a bloke in your town that walks a monkey in a pushchair. What about... Oh, it? yeah. What about, do you remember Top Cat? Who? Top Cat or Snoopy. They're like cartoon cartoon animals, a cartoon dog and a cartoon cat. That way. Oh, no idea. No? Can oh, we no. Can we just, the guy with the monkey, Matt? I don't know. I, I don't know the story there, to be honest. There is a man in your town in Flandidno. Yeah, well, Flandidno. I'm not quite in Flandidno, but yeah. I don't know. He's in a definite outfit all the time as well. I, I don't, I don't. He wears like, um, Napoleonic kind of costumes and carries a monkey around in a pushchair with a ghetto blaster. Yeah. So anyway, that, that went places. Dog or cat, Matt? Just just pick one. Dog. Yeah. Right. right. I felt I feel like we dragged that out of him. But... That was a pressure moment. That was. <laughs> it was. Wow. <laughs> that was our that was our 2019. That was our bin bag. Yeah, that was right that there. Was, that was. <laughs> um, okay. Overseer or understeer? Ooh. Understeer, because I think it's faster. I would have had you down as understeer, actually. Yeah, so that's yeah. Good. WRC or Group B? Uh, WRC. WRC. Now, I'm going to add one in. Go on. Mackinnon or McRae? McRae. Good. Okay. Now, we didn't get a question from David. In fact, when we started the podcast today, I actually forgot to chase him up. He said he was going to send me one. And actually, my bad, because I didn't chase him up on it. So Paul, Paul's got one. I, I, I came up with what, what is the most embarrassing thing you've ever worn? I, mean, the oh, I thought you were asking me that before the podcast. I thought, no. why is Guy asking me what's the most embarrassing thing I've ever worn? It was my question. Oh. <laughs> um, I nearly answered I have, you. I, I've got an answer. Have you? Wedding dress on my stag do. <laughs> have you, you got, got a picture Matt you got to send us a picture you got to send us a picture I don't think I have one if, if, if we, no, we promise to make a really big deal of you and uh, a big build up on our social media if you send us a picture of the wedding dress yeah. and if not if not Paul's really good on Paul's got really good on Photoshop so we're going to put you in one anyway yeah I was going to say you better send me it because what I'll do will be invariably worse I, I really <laughs> did think that you were asking me that though earlier I dressed up as a Spice Girl so you know it's, it, don't feel too bad about it were you quite impressed that I, I refrained from actually posting that? I was. It was also a, a lat image, and if you share them, you get in trouble. So. Okay, okay. Um, what was the what was the Abbey one again? You can ask him about that one. <laughs> yeah, we, we always default. Um, I, I think we really should default to Jason Plato's question, but it's going to get us in trouble one day. Um, yeah. But Abby Eaton asked, would you rather fight 10 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? You one like the Grand Tour, you should get this. <laughs> one horse-sized duck, I reckon. Why? It's important. Don't know. If, if you're going to run and hide, if you're, if you're going to run and hide, you've only got one to hide from. <laughs> there you go. Good answer. Good answer. Mm. On that bombshell, I know that's Top Gear. I can't do you for the Grand Tour. Uh, so we've gone from grassroots motorsport. We've we've charted what I think is a career that we'll be talking about for quite some time in British rallying um, to the very top flight. And we, we do oh, genuinely hope. 
<laughs> we do genuinely hope that you'll make it um, for the WRC. And if not, it's a brilliant story for the grandkids. Yeah. Well, thank if you, you have been watching this, if you've been listening to it on wherever you download your podcast, you can um, you can watch it on YouTube as well. And don't forget, we've got five-star review. We want a five-star hey, review. Yeah, we want a five-star review. Guys, got this review thing going on now. It's a time yeah. to think about it in lockdown. Um, yeah. And we we've got seventeen episodes for you to catch up on, um, from WRC to F1 to NASCAR to sports cars, of course. Um, and yeah. right back here on the gravel for for rallying with our double British rally champion Matt Edwards once again. Thank you for joining us, Matt. That was fun. Thank you. Thank you very much.